Hello everyone, and welcome to A Leader's Impact, part of Iris Interviews, our podcast channel for business executives, small business owners, managers, and anyone interested in what's going on in the world of industry. I'm Sarah Lewis, Head of Communications and Content for Iris Software Group, and today I'm joined by David Turner, CMO of Iris. Hi, Sarah. Hi, David. It's always an honour to speak to you. Now, for those of you who don't know David, he has held several marketing positions for technology businesses, driving corporate marketing from branding and messaging to PR, social media, digital and content marketing, investor relations, in fact, a lot. Um, But David, this is not all. Tell us a little bit more about your journey and the array of businesses you've been involved in. Uh, Okay, yeah, I didn't start off life as a marketer. In fact, I had no intention of of getting where I am today, I suppose. Um, I started life as a physicist, so did a physics degree, joined the Institute of Physics um, uh, in their publishing division, um, editing and writing about things like low temperature physics, uh, which was interesting interesting and uh, quite obscure, but at the time actually was booming. And um, But that, that sort of awakened interest in writing and... Uh, publishing and that whole sort of area and and um, from then I actually uh, went on a, a trip around the world and took jobs in um, Australia when I arrived there in uh, publishing and also started writing for local newspapers for the Australian um, for the Melbourne Age and actually for the New Scientist as well writing about science yeah. and technology because obviously that was my kind of background uh, and from there um, after returning to the UK, I went into I got a role uh, writing about um, technology um, for a technology company. Actually, it was fiber optics. Uh, and that role was within the marketing team. And I suddenly started to sort of find out about what marketing was. And it was certainly not what I thought it was. I'd always thought marketing was about um, persuading people to eat more baked beans than they needed. Um, <laughs> which is very crude. Um, and uh, no, I found it really interesting. So I actually went back to night school and studied marketing, um, postgraduate certificate and diploma and so on. Uh, and that sort of started my, my journey into marketing. So the first company I joined as a proper marketeer was a, a business software company, it was an accounting software company called Coda, um, based in Yorkshire. And I joined that as a, as a writer producing content for their um, for their brochures and uh, also for PR and other things. Uh, became UK marketing manager there. Went to a, briefly to another company while uh, that uh, while Coda was acquired and then came back to Coda to head up marketing uh, globally. Um, it, was, uh, it, it was in about 14 countries at the time uh, and we grew that as part of a management team for a number of years and actually listed it on the stock exchange in about 2004. So that was a really interesting process going through uh, that whole kind of listing and investor mm, relations yeah. that you referred to yeah. briefly. Uh, it's another another kind of audience to, to market Absolutely. to. And many countries. Yes, yeah, indeed. And then uh, a few years after that, 2008, we were acquired ourselves by a much bigger uh, Netherlands-based ERP company. So they acquired us off the stock exchange, which was quite an interesting acquisition. And we became part of this bigger organization, 26 countries. Uh, And strangely, they had been going around buying companies all over the world, but hadn't really 
pulled them together in a, a sort of coherent way. They ran them pretty much separately. And consequently, they didn't have a marketing team centrally. Uh, they just left it all to the individual countries. So long story short, I took over marketing or set up a marketing corporate marketing team there uh, and ran marketing globally across the 26 countries. And as part of that journey, brought together the whole organization under a single brand, uh, under the Unit 4 brand, mm. which was known as in, in the Netherlands, but not outside of the Netherlands. Um, and that was a really interesting uh, a really interesting lesson to me actually in branding because literally overnight we created the sixth biggest ERP company in the world because we went from being a whole series of disconnected um, national companies, some of them very small, a few mm. hundred people in Spain, uh, you know, 500 people in, in UK, 20 or 30 in Singapore, into this single coherent company. And that was all done just from a brand point of view. And suddenly, got the likes of Gartner and uh, IDC and the analysts it saw this organization as being a very sizable um, half billion dollar ERP company. And, and as I say, we suddenly appeared on, on the sort of rankings and things that we never had before. So it showed very tangibly the power of brand. Um, so we did that for a number of years and then went uh, briefly to a company in India, which was a, a whole other experience about working in Southeast Asia, and then joined NetSuite, which is a, a really exciting cloud company, very well known in North America. But at the time, 2015, only had one operation in EMEA. Uh, and so I was heading up EMEA marketing. And as part of that management team, we grew from being one country in EMEA to 11 countries, uh, built a marketing team for four people to 30 people in the space of about three or four years. And uh, again, that was a real lesson in high growth and also around cloud and SaaS, uh, which was really exciting. Mm. Uh, and then since then, um, yeah, I joined a, a French scale-up company briefly, and then and now I'm here at Iris. So that was my sort of corporate career, but I think also maybe interestingly, because we're talking to SMEs a lot here, yes. alongside that, I had sort of various other interests, <laughs> uh, sometimes inside, sometimes outside com uh, work, if you like. So in 2000, around about 2005, 2006, as part of Coda, I actually, I started a little side project. I got very interested in what became cloud at the time it was called something completely different uh, application service provider i think it Ooh, was yes um but it was the sort of forerunner to SaaS. and as part of that uh, myself and one of my team members uh and a product guy <laughs> met salesforce who were growing very fast again well known in north america less so outside um, and we became the first company globally to build a business application on the Salesforce platform. So we built another accounting software product, which is what we were doing in our mainstream business on the force.com, which was the Salesforce platform mm. to create this new cloud SaaS based accounting software product. And so that taught me a whole new way of going to market around, you know, with a SaaS product. And in particular, what it taught me is that relentless focus on the customer that you have to have in a SaaS business that maybe is not quite the same in a traditional technology company where you sold people something once effectively mm. and sort of almost walked away. Maybe not quite that brutal, but but that's often the, the sort of principle. 
Whereas with SaaS, you're constantly having to, you have to keep the customer you know, happy and make sure they're using the product and get them to use more so that they're constantly paying that subscription. So that was a lesson I learned there. Separately uh, and outside of the business, as I say, we, <laughs> my wife and I started a, a what, what started as a bakery in, in, the, in the farmhouse kitchen. And um, we then actually uh, set up a, a, an organic artisan baker, bakery in the middle of the Yorkshire Dales. Uh, that taught me a whole load of other stuff, into, including the difficulty of employing bakers in the middle of the Yorkshire Dales. We ended up with a very interesting Hungarian baker who we had to uh, attract from one of the cities. Uh, we got another baker from, uh, <coughs> from the Lake District. We set up a, a, a delicatessen and bakery shop in the town as well as a bakery outside the town. That was a whole, yeah, a whole other sort of adventure if you like um and then since then i've also run well a small farm uh, which i ran as a business with um <laughs> having discussions with my accountant about how i needed more sheep <laughs> in order to um to uh, make it clear that we were trying to make a profit and uh, certainly learned a lot about farming and the mm. dynamics uh, of that and uh, then set up a livery yard, so um, which is you know looking after people's horses, providing mm -hmm. bed and breakfast for horses, effectively. Yeah. Uh, which again was another business that uh, was uh, that we set up and uh, and ran for a number of years. Mm. Amazing! What a diverse experience! <laughs> and you know, if I'm just sitting here reflecting upon what you've just said, you know, it is you've run a an, an array of businesses that you need different types of skills for different types of customers, different types of supply chains, go-to-market strategies, all of those sorts of good things that we know in corporate marketing. Um, so, you know, I'm going to just kind of take us back a little bit because, um, you know, today I really want to focus on talking about the aspects of leadership in marketing and really kind of like, where, where do we go? Where, what do we know is best? Where do we go first? You've kind of mentioned the customer side of things. I mean, surely if you're selling bread, then the world is your customer. So, so why start with the customer? Well, I think any business, any business has to start with the customer. You've got to, you've got to have in your head a really clear uh, idea of who it is you're targeting. And yes, okay, everybody buys bread, but when you're setting up an artisan organic bakery in the Yorkshire Dales, you know maybe not everybody is in is in the market to buy what is, let's face it, a more expensive loaf of bread. Slightly unusual. It's not the standard sort of white fluffy sliced loaf. Um, but uh, clearly in a, in a small town as we were, you, you also want everybody or as many as possible to be a customer. So that was an interesting one. We targeted what you would see as the sort of typical customer for that type of bread, which let's face it is a sort of more middle class, um, maybe um, you know, open-minded sort of people who, who appreciate that mm -hmm. kind of bread. But we also, uh, we used to bake um, small loaves that were cheaper than the sort of standard loaf that the, the the little old ladies in the town would come and try because it was different but they wanted to support the business um, and they had different budgets if you like to 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 kind of our core customers so we used to do different products for uh, for different customer groups yes so so it's really about knowing that those customer groups and exactly. what their needs are yes yeah um, and I think you know whether it's a software company, whether it was the the um, you know livery, the livery yard. You are you're targeting a particular customer group, and uh, you know it can be a mistake to try and and be all things to all people and try and please everybody 
you know, I, I, definitely you shouldn't do that. I think you should you should be very clear on who your ideal customer is and then build a, a, a proposition for them uh, and be really single-minded about that. I think mm. it's really easy to get sidetracked by maybe an early customer who turns up, you know, waving money and says, oh, but if you did this, you know, we'll pay you. And that can be very attractive and sometimes you need to do that. But it can take you, if that takes you wildly off course from where you believe you want to go as a business, it can kind of sabotage you. Mm. And I think... You need to stay focused on what is your vision, what's your mission, what are your core values for the business, and and don't be diverted. And in particular, one lesson that I that I've learned, and I you know read this in a book, it comes from Jeffrey Moore, um, but uh, it's visualize that customer and then build a one hundred percent solution for them. One of the mistakes that people make often is that they try to please multiple audiences and they build a bit for this audience, a bit for that audience and a bit for that. So they build an 80% solution for everybody, but it doesn't completely satisfy anyone. Mm. And that way, you know, you have a, a whole range of slightly dissatisfied customers as opposed to a small group of wildly satisfied customers who are then going to go and be advocates for your business. Mm. And I think that's where the vision and the mission becomes incredibly important. Certainly the vision, you know, you, you need to know where that, that you know, Yellow Brick Road is. You need to know where the Emerald City is. If you don't, you, you kind of go off and go with the, the shiny, sparkly things. What, um, what, in your experience, what have you seen that has, with, when you've seen people kind of go off in different directions, what's been, what's been the, the impact? Well, I think I've seen it in um, seen it in the software industry quite a lot, actually, which is this sort of issue that you know you, you put out your kind of minimum viable product, uh, and often you know various people will turn up, as they say. You know, again, this is a Jeffrey Moore thing, but you'll get the early adopters, and often the early adopters are they're important to you, but they're also a bit wacky, uh, and often they are they don't reflect the the mainstream population. So I'm thinking about the people, you know, the, the sort of people you see queuing up for three days outside the Apple store when they first launched the iPhone. They're really important to getting that product out there, but they are not your core customer. And if you if you sort of focus on those people too much, you can um, sort of go down a rabbit hole, if you like, which doesn't take you into into where you want to be as a mainstream product. Um, and I've definitely seen in, in software companies, you know, this thing of you put the product out, you get a whole bunch of users and then they all feed back their feedback and all the requirements, the extra features they want. And as I say, you, 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 you end up, you sort of, you know, line them all up and you go, okay, we'll do that one, we'll do that one, we'll do that one. Uh, and, and you end up with this product that is, you know, it, it's not quite one thing and it's not quite another. So, and it's easy when, you know, you talk about bread, but if your product is things like, like something like accounting software, you say, well, everybody uses accounting software. Well, yes, they do. But wouldn't it be great if you did an accounting software system that works really brilliantly for um, professional services companies, you know, and you just focus on everything they need and then, and then you can build out and you can then move to another sector, whether it's, you know, education or, mm. or manufacturing or whatever. But, but trying to sort of, you know, please that whole market does, doesn't work. And I think just going to the vision point of view, having that clear vision and mission and thinking about leadership, as soon as you start employing people uh, in the business, you you need them to also understand where you're going and be 100% behind what you're doing. Because if they're all focused in slightly different directions or they think that the mission is slightly different, 
then you're, you know, again, you're diffusing your, your kind of impact in the marketplace. Yeah. So it's really important that you communicate that clearly to, uh, to the team and that everybody has a, a, a sort of core vision to get behind and, mm. and understands where the company's going. Definitely. I think it gives you those principles, doesn't it, to build the business on. Um, but also it motivates everybody to go in that same direction. And I think as you're building those businesses, the one thing you need to do is is get motivate, mo- you know, m- motivate your army around you to make sure that everybody's getting in the same direction. Yes. Yeah. And I think what comes out of that is often you'll, you'll develop something. You know, you, you've you've presumably you've spotted some sort of a niche in the marketplace, uh, some some requirement, some need that hasn't been satisfied, and then you'll decide you're going to you're going to satisfy it. So you you'll end up with a kind of messaging and approach to that market that says, you know, oh, the market desperately needs X Y Z, and that's what we're about. And then you get everybody to to stand behind you and to repeat that message and and to to kind of repeat that mantra. Mm-hmm. And then there's a danger that you and your your team internally get bored with that message because you hear that message every day. You kind of think, oh, we need to refer, we need to change it, we need to be this, we need to be that. The prob- the mistake everyone makes, and this is small companies and big companies, is that however much you are bored with hearing your message internally, the market is not because they are listening. You know, they have thousands of messages every day they're exposed to. They are they are not going to be bored with your message. The chance of them even having heard it, digested it, understood it, are really small. And so you need to keep repeating that kind of single-minded proposition, that single-minded message. Mm-hmm over and over again and resist the temptation to be taken off track onto other Absolutely, other yeah, completely agree. I mean, it's, it's that kind of everyone and everything, you know, and I think you, when you're, when we're as marketeers, you know, when we're looking at messaging, it's keeping it really simple, but keeping it consistent, isn't it, across, you know, and making sure that everyone is on message, uh, but then also that's reflected in the material that you're putting out to market. But talking of material that we're putting out to the market, I mean, obviously, you know, as marketeers, we are here to generate those leads, generate demand, you know, fuel those, fuel the sales funnel. Um, but then there's also the the awareness side of things. So how do you balance those two things? Sort of awareness and brand versus mm, demand versus generation. Demand. It's a, it's a it's a constant kind of uh, battle, I think, in the mind of the marketer and 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 in you know discussions around the the board table. I think um, there's no easy answer, but I think that basically there has to be a balance. You know, you need people to know about your business and to when they when they see your business they see your logo they hear your name you want them to think something now that might be oh yeah they're the people that do xyz that really clear message that you've set out to to achieve that niche that you've tried to um to fill um or it might be oh yeah they're you know they're the best at doing whatever it is they do or yeah they're the cheapest you know you can get or they're great value or whatever it is that you want them to to think you kind of need them to have have that understanding and to, to that that comprehension of your brand, uh, even when you you know reach out to them in your through your demand generation. Now you can do demand generation in the absence of brand and just you know sell on the on that kind of um, instant sort of message that whether it's price or whether it's the proposition that's so powerful you can cut through. Mm-hmm. But if you want to scale the business then you need that brand awareness as well. And so, you know, I think and very early on in the in the life of a business, that brand awareness is absolutely key. 
the thing to keep remembering, people think about brand and, um, you know, immediately think it's massively expensive and it's, you know, huge cost and you're going to have to go and take out adverts in the Sunday Times or on the TV. But go back to your customer niche. What is your customer niche? And if your customer niche is little old ladies in a, in a North Yorkshire town, well, you know, there's probably only a couple of places where you can go and talk to them. And well, you know, let's do that. Or you, you know, you need to put an advert in the local village gazette or whatever it is. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, advertising in the Yorkshire Post or whatever. So you know, you've got to go back to thinking about that niche. And if your niche is narrow enough and defined enough, you you can create a brand there. Mm. Doesn't matter about the rest of the world at the moment. You don't need them to know anything about you. You just need that niche. Uh, customer base to know about. I think it's, uh, that's absolutely true. I think also just reflecting on what you have said, it's also the type of sale. So the bread is a fairly instant demand generation activity. Yes. And, you know, if you have that that customer cohort, those those beautiful customers that you are, your dream customers, actually building that brand within them, if you are looking at a longer sales cycle, is also a really good thing to do because of course it just helps keep that maintain that brand as you are going through the nurture process towards the towards the sale yeah absolutely and of course yeah there's a big difference between you know someone can come and sample bread or you can give them a free sample or whatever very easily um when it's uh, maybe an erp system for, for your business it's a much bigger commitment uh, i mean obviously again today you know Going through that learning process with SaaS and cloud software, what made that different was things like the ability to give free trials. So it is possible, you know, now for, for people to go and play with software and test it, whereas you know previously you had to go and download it onto a computer or set it up mm. on a massive server or whatever. So that's fantastic. But then even even then, you know, if you are selling an accounting system or an ERP system. It's quite hard to test that, really. You can test little bits of it, but you know you can only do a meaningful trial of an accounting system if you've uploaded all of your data, set up all of your yes. ledgers, and you know all of your accounts, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and that's a massive investment. So, uh, yeah, there's a limit to what you can do there. So, therefore, what's really important is things like, well, what do other customers say? You know, what what for the for the customer, they're they're thinking, well, what do my peers say about it? I need to go and read about mm. them. I need to talk to them. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. That's yeah. where things like PR, case studies, mm. getting customer advocates, all of that is really important. Yes, and actually, it kind of beautifully moves me on to kind of I suppose what was in my mind was then the content marketing strategy behind it. So it's utilizing all of those proof points, substantiation, and you know, showing the expertise around that. Do you think that that's really worth doing for a small business? Yeah, absolutely. I think. Uh, whatever size business you are, you need you need to talk to that customer niche, and you need them to believe that you are the best at providing whatever it is that the solution that you're providing, and therefore demonstrating expertise, um, demonstrating understanding, you know, letting people in behind the curtain and and to see how it is that you produce whatever it is you produce is really important, you know, and. Nowadays, with social media, you're in a fantastic position to be able to, whether it's setting up a sort of, you know, a blog or a, or a Facebook group or something that talks about in detail about how you make bread or, you know, how uh, or it might be issues around horse manage, horse welfare if you're in the horse business or or around, you know, accounting and, and business if you're in the business software area. Um, that ability to create communities uh, and share expertise and present yourself as an expert in that 
in that area, mm. I think is is really important. And and yeah, again, you know, social media gives you this amazing way of of creating and talking to a niche, however narrow that may be. Um, you know, because you can talk to effectively create groups of people or talk to people mm. anywhere in the world. Yeah, you yeah. can find people who are like-minded and have that same need definitely wasn't it seth godin that um, was the to coin the phrase the tribes that's right yes yeah yeah, yeah so exactly. building communities finding your tribe wherever you are in the world exactly and that's the opportunity as well isn't it because you don't have to be you know you're not just sending bread to to a, a county you know you, you've now got the world yes mm. yeah absolutely and you know Look, here at Iris, we deal with accountants, for example, in practice. And, you know, going back a few years, an accountant in practice would set up in a in an area in a local town and, and their audience, their customer base uh, was, you know, businesses in that local area, in that town mm. or in the, in the surrounding area. Today, they can provide accounting services to anyone, anyone in the country, potentially in the world, although, you know, obviously there's, there's legislative things, but, you know, massively increases their their uh, potential audience however the flip side of that is you know don't go and provide accounting services to the to the whole of the uk as an accountant be an accountant who specializes in i don't know a farm Mm. farm accounting for example and then offer that to all the farms around the Mm. uk or you know to to manufacturing businesses or whatever it is you can find a niche a specialization which uh, which you can scale because of the ability to um, go beyond your local geography Mm. Absolutely, indeed. And just thinking that, you know, as you were talking about uh, accounting and accountancy, it uh, strikes me that the other thing that we need to be mindful of is actually the economic cycles and um, that uh, currently we are going through another economic cycle. We may have seen, you know, maybe just one or two um, beforehand, but uh, looking at these economic cycles as we're going through them, you know, where do we, where do you think the opportunities are for small businesses, you know, when, when we need to be agile or when there is turbulence? I think it's easy to be glib about, about these sort of economic cycles. And, you know, it's a reality that actually more businesses are created in, in uh, downturns um, than, than in uh, good economic times, actually. And, uh, you know, it can be an opportunity, but it is also a really tough time. And, and, and like I say, you can be, you know, you shouldn't sort of underestimate that. I think there's a there's a uh, there's a, often a knee jerk reaction that you cut marketing spend uh, in a, in a downturn. And uh, I've been fortunate to have been mostly in, to be in companies actually that haven't done that, um, mm. and have tended to um, you know continue to do marketing through to market through that those uh, those tough times. And it can be an opportunity because. You know, again, as long as you are focused on on a, a very clear customer base, you're providing really clear benefits to them. Um, you need to make sure that those benefits are applicable in a downturn as well as in in good times. Um, you know, then you are going to find a ready market for it. And I think, you know, yeah, you may have to, you know, you may have to um, reduce some of your, your your you know very expensive activities if that's not appropriate or you just can't fund it from a cash flow point of view but the, the fantastic thing today is again we've talked about social media and and all the things that there are lots of ways of you know making noise of, of connecting with your potential customers of creating communities that don't necessarily cost enormous amounts of money typically it's time and, and resource really of you know and, and, and expertise um, that you need but you know we talk about content marketing a lot of that can be done 
um, you know, it's it's more about that time and investment of of, uh, of time rather than hard cash. Mm, absolutely, my goodness! I think that we could probably talk about marketing for for a number of hours today. I think reflecting on what you have just said in terms of our wonderful listeners. For me, there were some really key points that you brought out of this today. You know, number one is make sure you've got that vision. You know, make sure that everybody knows what that vision is and don't go after the shiny things just because they're shiny. Uh, number two is making sure that you think customer, think community, you know, customer, customer, customer. We talk about it a lot internally. It's one of our key values. Um, but just make sure you know who your customer is and who you want your perfect customer to be. Um, and then I think three is actually making sure that you are really showing your understanding. You you are in that customer's world. The more empathy that you can build, the more expertise that you can show within those communities, as we have talked about today, uh, the more likely that message is going to land and actually they're they're going to start engaging with you. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, thank you very much for your time today. Um, I think uh, we have got some really kind of quite key areas there. And of course, I'm sure there's going to be lots more to explore in the future. Um, thank you very much for listening. I genuinely hope this has been of use. We have a plethora of other podcasts on our channel. So if you found this valuable, please do hit the subscribe button. And don't forget to seek us out on the usual social media channels.